Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. I worked at Facebook in 2011 and 2012. I was one of the really early employees at Instagram. I worked at uh, Google, uh, YouTube. Apple, Google, Twitter, Palm. I helped start Mozilla Labs and then switched over to the Firefox side. Uh, are we rolling? I worked at Twitter. My last job there was the senior vice president of engineering. I was the president of Pinterest. Before that, um, I was the, the director of monetization at Facebook for five years. While at Twitter, I spent a number of years running their developer platform, and then it became head of consumer product. I was the co-inventor of Google Drive, Gmail Chat, Facebook Pages, and the Facebook Like button. So I've been an investor in technology for 35 years. The first 50 years of Silicon Valley, the industry made products, hardware, software, sold them to customers. Nice, simple business. For the last 10 years, the biggest companies in Silicon Valley have been in the business of selling their users. It's a little even trite to say now, but because we don't pay for the products that we use, advertisers pay for the products that we use. Advertisers are the customers. We're the thing being sold. The classic saying is, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. A lot of people think, you know, oh, well, Google's just a search box, and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing and see their photos. But what they don't realize is they're competing for your attention. So, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, companies like this, their business model is to keep people engaged on the screen. Let's figure out how to get as much of this person's attention as we possibly can. How much time can we get you to spend? How much of your life can we get you to give to us? When you think about how some of these companies work, it starts to make sense. There are all these services on the internet that we think of as free, but they're not free. They're paid for by advertisers. Why do advertisers pay those companies? They pay in exchange for showing their ads to us. We're the product. Our attention is the product being sold to advertisers. We're pointing these engines of AI back at ourselves to reverse engineer what elicits responses from us. Almost like you're stimulating nerve cells on a spider to see what causes its legs to respond. So it really is this kind of prison experiment where we're just, you know, roping people into the matrix and we're just harvesting all this money and, and data from all their activity to profit from. And we're not even aware that it's happening. So we want to psychologically figure out how to manipulate you as fast as possible and then give you back that dopamine hit. We did that at, brilliantly at Facebook. Instagram has done it. WhatsApp has done it. You know, Snapchat has done it. Twitter has done it. I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a, that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom and Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. That clip 
comes from a recent documentary that was released called The Social Dilemma, and it points to what I want to talk to you about today, which is the battle for our attention. And I don't know about you, but when, when I watched that clip, I, I found it kind of disturbing because I don't think I realized that my attention was a product that is being, that is being marketed to other companies. And, and what annoys me about it is how effective it is on me. I don't know about you, but like, I go to a lot of those sites that they mentioned and I spend far more time on those sites than I intend to most of the time. And so I think it's important for us to recognize today that we are in a battle for our attention. And as we continue our series on union with God, I think it's important for us to talk about this because, because winning the battle for our attention is actually vital for us to be able to walk in union with God. Now, there's three premises that I want to start off with today as we kind of get into this topic, and, and they're these. First of all, our attention is a gift from God. Our attention is a gift from God. God has given us the capacity to be able to focus on something for an extended period of time, right? I mean, He's given us the ability to be able to do that. And so how we use or steward our attention and our ability to focus and concentrate is actually really important because the second point here is that our attention is a finite resource. Like we can only concentrate time. I mean, anybody tried multitasking? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work out very well for me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've, some of you are probably better at it than me, but in general, humans are not very good multitaskers. And here's the third premise I want to start off with, and it's this. We give our attention to the things that we value the most, right? I mean, for example, I have a confession to make. I am not into cricket. I know it's probably my loss for all you cricket fans out there. I'm sorry. I'm sure I'm the one missing out. But because I don't really value or enjoy cricket or even know the rules, um, and that's probably part of the problem right there, uh, I, I don't pay attention to it. I don't watch cricket matches. I don't go to cricket matches. I don't pay, follow it in the news. I don't know who the stars are. I, I don't pay attention to cricket because it's not something I value. But give me a sport that I really enjoy. You know, I grew up playing and watching American football, and I can tell you who all the stars are. I know all the rules. I know the big matches are coming up. I, 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 can, I have a pretty good idea of who's going to win each match. I'm, I'm, I follow the news and what's happening with that sport. Why? Because I value it. So, so you, you give attention to the things that you value. So is it any wonder that there is a battle for our attention? What we give our attention to determines how we think, how we spend our money, and it certainly has ramifications for our relationship with God. So we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this because I believe that the battle has intensified in recent decades. I think the battle has gotten more and more intense in the last 20 years or so. I mean, think about the things that, that are just normal for us now that, that in the 1990s you didn't have to deal with, like constant notifications on your phone, 
right? I mean, you're getting texts, you're getting alerts, you're getting uh, notifications, you're getting all kinds of things that are just bombarding you, and they're pulling you out of whatever you're doing in the moment and saying, hey, look at me, check me, look at this. Or, or maybe it's not just your phone. Like, just think about the way billboards have changed. You know, it used to just be that billboards were, you know, and they still mostly are just, you know, adver- adverts that are on a, like a paper on a big board on the side of the road. But now you've got these huge LED billboards that, that are like brighter than the surface of the sun. You guys seen these? You know, when you drive, especially at night, it's like, whoa, you know, they super bright billboards that are impossible to ignore. They demand your attention. Or, or think about air travel. You know, it used to be that you could just go to the airport and, and, and you could just pretty much, you know, as we go through security, you go to your gate and there might be some shops and things along the way, but now you have to run a gauntlet. You literally have to go through the maze of duty-free and pass all this junk in order to get to your gate. And then once you do that, you get on the plane and you got to watch adverts before you take off. And there's no like turning it off or, 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 uh, or, or getting it to, you know, you can't tune out of it. It's just right there in front of you. You have to listen to it. And what annoys me about all this is how effective it all is, how effective modern technology works to, to distract us, to grab our attention. I mean, how many of you guys have experienced the, that moment where you think, I, you have a legitimate reason to pull out your phone. You know, you might need to check your bank account. You might need to text your spouse or something. And you pull out your phone, and 15 minutes later, you realize, oh, I never did that thing that I initially pulled my phone out to do because you got distracted by something else, right? You know, oh, Instagram, oh, what's going on? Ooh, there's a notification. We get distracted by all these things, and, and, it, and it sucks our attention. Like they said in that, that video, they try to see how much of our time we'll give to them. And what's the impact of all this? Scientists have been showing us, or they've been doing research into the impact of modern technology and the digital revolution. And they're only starting to just begin to grasp how the internet and and mobile technology is changing us. And, And it's literally rewiring our brain. In fact, what they're saying is that modern tech is actually making us shallow. It's reducing our capacity for deep thought and concentration. As we, as we you know, if, if you think about like reading books, how many of you find it harder to read a book these days? A lot of us, right? And that's what they're finding. People have a harder time uh, reading books. They have a hard time reading long articles. Everything is being reduced now to sound bites and headlines and tweets. And, and it reduces our capacity for deep and nuanced thought, and so we become shallower thinkers. And that has a further impact in that our inability to think and concentrate for long periods of time is is actually, uh, it, it hinders our ability to have compassion and empathy. It hinders our ability to think deeply and have compassion and empathy for other people, which might explain some of the some of the the chaos and the hatred that we see in our culture and the way that we just talk over each other. It's just we haven't developed that capacity for empathy and compassion that we used to have because we're just, we're being made shallow by modern technology. And of course, as a pastor, one of my main concerns is what does this do to our spiritual life? What does this do to our walk with God? And it's my belief that that as we, become, as we become shallower as a people, then our walk with God is going to become more shallow. Why? Because our soul is where we connect with God. 
Our soul is, is how we interact with God. That's where He meets with us. I mean, that's why the, the psalmist would say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. You see, our soul is where we encounter God, and if, our, if we only have a shallow soul, if we're only able to bring a small piece of our soul to God, then we can only experience a small part of Him, which is why I believe that union with God means giving our attention to God. Union with God means we have to give our attention to Him. We can't just, we can't just be distracted and swipe in our union with God. We, we have to give Him focused, sustained attention. There's no, way, no other way to walk with God. We can't just flip from one app to another with Him. We've got to focus. We can't be in a hurry. We've got to actually give him our attention if we're going to receive the life and the abundance that he has for us. We can't be in a hurry with God. You know, I can't be in a hurry with God any more than I can be in a hurry and be impatient with my wife. Like, that's not going to produce union if I'm impatient with Lauren and if I'm always in a hurry with her. And it's the same in our walk with God. You know, we have to give God our, we have to be able to settle in and focus and fix our eyes on him. So this this is, I think, a modern dilemma for us as believers that, that has only become more intense in the last 20 years than, than ever before. So we've got to figure out how we're going to respond to this. How we're going to give our attention to God so that we can have union with Him. Now, the Bible talks about this in a number of places, and uh, this principle is seen over and over again throughout Scripture. But I just want to look at one example today, and it comes from probably a passage that most of you are familiar with, which is Psalm 1. And it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night." So this psalm is really, it gives us a contrast. It gives us a contrast between the blessed person, the righteous person, and the wicked person. And it starts off by telling us about the righteous person. And the righteous person is intentional about his intention. He's focused on the law of the Lord. He meditates on his law day and night. It's a source of delight for him. Now, when I say meditates... Sometimes we can get put off by that because we think of Eastern religions and the way they do meditation, you know, with you get in a low position and you try to empty your mind of everything, but that's not what biblical meditation is about. Biblical meditation isn't about emptying your mind, it's about filling your mind with the things of God. I think the best way to illustrate it is to think about savoring a bite of your favorite food. Maybe it's a thick, juicy steak. Maybe it's it's uh, your favorite pasta dish. Maybe it's a sip of your favorite wine or, or a crisp, sweet bite of an apple. You know, whatever your favorite dish is, imagine what it means for you when you savor that bite. What do you do? You close your eyes. You, 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 you slow everything down. You enjoy the fragrance. You enjoy the texture. You enjoy the different tastes that you're experiencing. You savor it, Right? That's what Christian meditation is. It's savoring the things of God. It's giving your mind and your, your heart the opportunity to, to really 
enjoy and think about what it's talking about. In this case, he's talking about reading the scriptures, reading the law of God. And what's happening is this, this righteous man, he's, he's taking maybe just a verse or maybe just a phrase and he's savoring it. He's meditating on it. He's thinking about what it means for him. He's giving his attention to God by, giving, by meditating on the word. And there's all kinds of ways that we can give our attention to God. You know, maybe it's it's worship. Maybe it's a time of prayer. Maybe it's going for a walk out in nature. Maybe it's just setting aside time to just be still and silent before God. Maybe it's, it's uh, there's all kinds of different ways, but, but making time or giving our attention to God is whatever we do that creates space in our soul for him to come and fill. So it could be any number of things. But this righteous man here in Psalm 1, his, his thing is he's just meditating on the law of God. That's what he does. Now it continues. It says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, this is reminds me of what one of the main passages we've been looking at in this series, which is John 15. And in that passage, Jesus compares, he talks about union with God, and he, he uses the analogy of the vine and the branch, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branch, and if you'll abide in me, if you remain in me, and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. We well, get the same kind of imagery here. This person that's living in union with God, this, this man who is giving his attention to the word and he's meditating on it, he's, he's giving God his attention, he's actually living in union with God and the fruit of it is that he is yielding fruit in his season. He's not withering when times get hard or when drought occurs. And that is what God wants for us. You see, as Christians, we're called to live a life of victory, a life that overcomes a life of freedom. And of course, we're all on a journey, and this side of heaven, we're all going to be battling in different levels. But if you're still in the same, if you're, if you're not moving towards greater victory or greater freedom than you were a year ago, then that's, you're not experiencing the life that God has for you. If you're not walking in greater victory, if you're not look, you know, uh, uh, seeing more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, more of the power of God in your life, more hunger for God in your life, then maybe you need to look at whether or not you're actually walking in union with God because that's what God wants to give you. He wants to develop in you uh, the ability to bear fruit, spiritual fruit. He wants to develop in you the ability to persevere and endure no matter what hardships or difficulties we're facing like a second lockdown. This is what is available to us through union with God. And notice, though, that, that, that he compares the the righteous person to a tree. And the thing about trees is that there are no instant trees. <laughs> they take time to grow. They, they, it's a process of absorbing sunlight and soaking up nutrients and water from the soil, and every year they grow a little bit at a time. But there's nothing instant about it, and that can be a challenge for us in this instant everything world where we can check our Instagram and get that dopamine hit that they were talking about when we see, oh, I've got new followers or I've got 15 likes for this post. You don't get the same dopamine hit most of the time when you spend five minutes in prayer. 
You don't get that same sort of thrill when you spent an hour giving your attention to God through His Word. There's not that same sort of thrill. And so it, it, it requires us to persevere. It requires us to be patient. Just like you would be patient with a tree that's growing out of the ground. I mean, it's, it's just going to take time for that tree to mature and to develop. And that is the challenge of the spiritual life, is just to continue coming back to God and giving Him our attention when we're not getting that, that fix or that quick hit that, that this world so often entices us with. And to trust that if we will keep coming back to Him, the promise is that we will be like a tree, that we will be strong, that we'll be rooted, that we will bear fruit, that we'll not wither in the hardships and in the times of drought and trial. That's what God wants to make us into, people of substance, people of purpose, people that, that can endure. Well, the psalmist goes on, and he now switches, and he begins to describe the wicked person. Here's what he says. He says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And what's interesting to me about this is the wicked person isn't described as a sinister villain, you know? twiddling his mustache. Now, the wicked person is described like, like a dandelion puff, where just a, a breath of wind could take it away. The, the, the wicked person is the person that, that has no substance, that's become shallow. That's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want for us to be blown around by the winds of culture. He doesn't want for us to, to have no substance and just for our souls to be made shallow. He wants us to have a deep, rich, and satisfying life in Him. He wants us to be rooted in Him so, so that whatever happens, whatever our circumstances, whatever is happening in our culture, we're still rooted, we're secure, we're bearing fruit in Him, and we are strong. People can come and take shelter under us. So the whole idea that, about all this is that God is wanting us to give him our attention so that we don't become shallow, so that we're not being pushed around, and so that we could be rooted and established in him. And see, giving God our attention is an act of worship. Giving God our attention is an act of worship. See, worship isn't just about singing songs. Worship is about, is about surrender, it's about sacrifice. It's, about, it's a statement of value like we talked about at the beginning. And you choosing to give God your attention, whether you're singing songs or whether you're just being still before God or whether you're going for a walk in nature and just savoring God's creation or whether you are, are at church spending time in worship with the body of Christ, those are the, the, all of that, giving your attention to God, those are acts of worship. And so my challenge for you today is what if your act of worship was to create sacred space for God in your day? What if your act of worship was to intentionally say, God, I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to create space for you that doesn't currently exist so that you can have more of my life, so that, so that you can get my eyes off the world 
Remember, we talked about earlier in the series that Jesus warned us the main thing that, that opposes us living in union with God and experiencing union with Him is the world and its systems and its values and its structure. And I think the battle for our attention is one place where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world collide. And maybe one of the ways that we can think about winning that battle is to learn how to say, hey, I'm going to set aside sacred time for God every day so that he can fill my heart and fill my life. And, and, and that would then allow me to win this battle for my attention. Now, you know where the battle for your attention is fought. You know, for some of you, it might be gaming. For some of you, you know, your battlefield is, is with Netflix. For some of you, it might be films or it might be a hobby. Maybe you're into the news and politics. I mean, you know, that's, that's dominating the headlines these days. So you know where your battle is being fought. But I think, and you need to have a strategy and boundaries to help you fight that. Boundaries around these things. See, not all of these things are bad, but you need boundaries to keep them from getting out of control. But I think for most of us, the front line in the battle for our attention is this, Right? This is where the battle for our attention is mostly being waged these days. Now, I'm not against phones. Obviously, I have one. Now, this week, I mean, these, these things are amazing tools. I, I heard this week that there is more computing power in the modern smartphone than NASA had available when it initially sent a man to the moon in 1968. And we carry it around in our pockets. It's incredible. It's a great tool, and it has so many legitimate uses. But just like water and fire, when it gets out of its boundaries, it can be hugely destructive. And so we need to have boundaries for how we deal with this. The 21st century follower of Jesus has to have a plan and a strategy for how you're going to rule this rather than it ruling you. So I just want to give you some suggestions. None of these are original with me. I've heard it over the years from various sources. But I want to give you four really practical suggestions as we close today about how you can manage and steward your attention and not let the phone dominate your attention every day. First of all, I want to encourage you to turn off your notifications. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have a really hard time not looking at my phone whenever it buzzes or chimes or tweets or whatever. I have a really hard time not looking at it. And so I leave my phone muted almost all the time. And I have virtually all my notifications turned off. The only things I get are texts and a few notifications that I actually want to be reminded of on a daily basis. But switching off notifications, because what do notifications do? They pull you out of whatever you are giving your attention to, and they cause you to give your attention to your, whatever that notification is. It's, it's setting the agenda for you. And, and, and it seems like a great idea. Oh, yeah, I want to know about these kinds of things. But actually, that's, that causes the phone. The phone then causes your attention to shift from whatever you're focusing on to whatever it wants you to focus on. And I want to encourage you to just take back control of that part of your life. Specifically, I want to encourage you to turn off your social media notifications. You know, as, as they talked about, like, they love to give you that, that, those notifications because they know that you're going to get a buzz of dopamine every time you get a like or a follower or a comment or something like that. But you don't need to know that constantly. You don't need to be made aware 
that somebody liked your Instagram post the minute it happens. So I want to encourage you to just turn your notifications off for that. I also want to encourage you to turn off your news alerts, especially now. You know, we've got a U.S. election coming up. We've got, we've got a lockdown happening. Uh, news alerts are, are just bombarding us these days, and it, it is a rough place for the soul. News alerts can be really rough. They can, they can <laughs> I mean, they're full of negativity. They are full of uh, sensational news and fear, and it keeps our soul in a heightened state of alert all the time. And that's not how you're meant to live. You're not meant to live with your soul in this state of heightened alert. And so, you know, by all means, keep up with the news, but do it on your own time. Don't let the, you you don't need to know what's happening around the world as it happens. We don't need to know about some tragedy that's happening halfway across the world the instant it happens. I mean, if you're the prime minister, maybe you need to know that stuff. But most of us don't need to know that. Just find a time. Choose the time when you're going to look at the news. Don't let it choose you. So turn off your notifications. Secondly, I want to encourage you to fast from social media. Now, some of you, social media is not a big deal. But for others of us, social media can dominate our lives, especially the younger generations. And I just want to say, you know, if if you're spending more time on social media than you're spending time with God and that's the norm for you, then you probably need to fast from social media. If you're checking social media before you spend time with God every morning, you probably need to fast from it for a while. You know, I've heard people, it's, it's not that hard to delete an app from your phone and reinstall it later. And I've heard people deleting apps for a day or two, a week, a month. I know people have done it for a year. And a lot of people that get off social media, they don't miss it. After they get over the addiction to it, they, they, they find that they're actually happy to be away from it. And there's a good reason for that, because studies have shown that, that social media, there's a correlation between depression and anxiety and social media use. In other words, the more that you spend time on social media, the more likely you are to become anxious or depressed. And so I want to encourage you to get off social media if you can, at least for a short time. And if you can't do that, then set a time limit on it. Maybe we've got time limits that we can put on apps now. So I want to encourage you, you know, maybe set a 30-minute limit a day or something like that so that these things aren't dominating your life and see if God doesn't meet you in that space that you're creating. Thirdly, um, I want to encourage you to turn off your phone at times. And I know that sounds crazy, like we feel naked without our phones. <laughs> you ever left home and realized, oh, I forgot my phone, and you, it, it just produces sheer panic in us. That's a little bit of a concerning sign, I think. But a couple of years ago, I went on a men's retreat, and uh, part of the conditions of going on this retreat is they said, hey, you got to turn off your phones while you're on this retreat. you got to turn off your phone while you're here. Um, and, and so they told us to notify our families and our spouses to make sure that, that, that they were aware of that. And we made you know, a plan for emergencies and all that kind of stuff. There was a number that they could contact in case of emergencies. But we turned off our phone for four days. And, and it was the first time I've really done that since I got a phone. And I have to say, it was amazing. It was such a relief. I, I felt like I had so much space in my soul for God. I had so much more space in my soul for other people just to be able to pay attention and be present for other people. 
By the time it was over, I remember driving back, we stopped at this petrol station, we were about halfway home, and I thought, oh, I need to text Lauren. You know, I, I just had this incredible weekend. I'd really met with Jesus powerfully this weekend. Now we're on our way home. I'm thinking I should let Lauren know when I'm going to get home. And I pulled out my phone to turn it back on. And I didn't want to do it. I was like, ugh, I don't want to step back into that world. I don't, want to, I don't want to go back into that. But, you know, obviously, we ha- all of us need our phones now. This is just part of the modern age. But I want to encourage you to at least find times when you can turn it off. Like when you're on vacation, you should for sure be turning off your phone for part of your holiday. Uh, or maybe when at, at night, like at 8 o'clock. What if you turned off your phone every night at 8 o'clock for a week and just see what happens? Or what if you, I have heard of people turning off their phones for a day or two on the weekends. Find a time when you can switch off. Let's not just go along with the culture's desire for us to always be available and contactable 24-7. That is not how you were created to live. And finally, don't look at your phone first thing in the morning. You know, that's what we always want to do, right? I mean, the, the natural pull for me is to go grab my phone and say, hey, what, what happened last night? Who texted me? What's going on in the news? And, and we want to dive in. But you know what I found? Is that the principle of first things applies that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. Remember, he said, seek first his kingdom, and his, or seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus is saying, seek me first. Seek me first. Make me the priority. So if God is a priority, we put him first in our life. We give him our attention first. And when we go to our phones, what I've found when I look at my phone first thing in the morning is that it sucks me into my day. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I see all the things that have happened overnight. You know, I might have a text that kind of upsets me or something dramatic's happened in the news. And, and, and the moment that I do that, I, you know, my mind kind of switches on. My heart starts pumping with adrenaline, and I realize I'm, I'm sucked into my day. I start planning ahead, and start, my mind starts racing, and I'm pulled into my day. And it's such a loss because in the morning is one of those rare times when our hearts and our minds are a little bit more quiet, a little bit more still, and we can receive more of what God has for us. We can hear him a little better. So let's not waste that opportunity Let's make that, that first time, or when you wake up in the morning, make yourself a, a hot drink, and then spend that time with God for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever you have available, and let Him be the first priority of your day. Give Him your attention first. Don't go straight to your phone. Be kind to yourself. Don't just launch yourself into your day right away. So all of these ways are simple, practical steps that you can take to make to create sacred space in your day for God. It's a way of winning the battle for your attention. And I know these sound hard. They might sound difficult. Changing your behavior is not easy. Changing your behavior can be really difficult. And, and, I, and I'll just say that when you first start to do this, it's kind of like fasting, you know, it, it will feel difficult. It will feel uncomfortable. It'll feel painful. You'll feel the cost of it at first more than, than you will the benefit. But once you experience living in union with God and not being distracted by all the different things the world is throwing at you, you'll see it's totally worth it. So let's not let the world win the battle for our attention Let's let our act of worship be fixing our eyes on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews. Let's let our response be that we're fixing, we're giving our attention to God, that we can experience union with him. Let me pray for you.
Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your help. Lord, in a world that's vying for our attention at every turn, God, we say we don't need what the world has to offer. We need you. So God, would you help us today to recognize where the world has so much of our attention and where we need to to pull back and how we can create that sacred space for you. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that you would meet with us, that you would fill us, God, that you would strengthen us, that we would be like that, that tree planted by streams of water, that we would bear fruit in season and our leaves would not wither. Lord, help us to be a people who live in union with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.